everyone. My name is Maria Thomas, and I work for Allianz Research, the global team of economists, strategists, sector advisors, and foresight experts of the Allianz Group, led by Ludovic Subron. Welcome to Tomorrow, a podcast where we'll be talking about our latest analyses of economic and capital market developments, as well as our views on trends affecting risk management. Let's get started. Since the start of the COVID-19 crisis, the cost of global trade has surged as differing waves of lockdowns and other restrictions have disrupted shipping and pushed up input prices. How long could these price pressures and shipping constraints last? And which countries and sectors could be hit the hardest? Let's find out in this episode with Francoise Huang, Senior Economist for Asia-Pacific and Trade at Allianz Research. Hello, Francoise. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Maria. So to start with, can you explain for our listeners how global trade was impacted immediately after the COVID-19 crisis hit? First of all, thank you for having me. Um, right now, it feels a bit weird thinking about the beginning of this crisis. It feels like an eternity ago. But yeah, at the beginning of January 2020, uh, I remember the first thing that we wanted to understand was that how the lockdown in the Hubei province in China was impacting global supply chains and how countries dependent on inputs and goods uh, coming from China would be impacted. Uh, then, of course, uh, it quickly became a global question uh, with sanitary measures and lockdowns uh, impacting um, both the supply and the demand side of economies. So the su- supply side as people couldn't go to work anymore and the demand side as, well, people couldn't go outside to spend as usual anymore either. But yeah, in the in, in the immediate uh, aftermath, uh, if we look at the numbers, uh, we saw a sharp decline in, in global trading goods. Uh, they declined by that declined by more than ten percent uh, in the three months leading to May 2020. So that was really the peak uh, of the lockdowns and and the slowdown of the global economy. Uh, the recovery thereafter was actually faster than we had expected, uh, but still uh, we estimate that global trade uh, in total uh, over the full year 2020 declined by around eight uh, percent compared to 2019. Okay. And so in 2021, as as you mentioned, uh, and as you wrote in a recent report, trade seems to have bounced back faster and stronger than expected, right? So can you tell us what's behind this jump? Yeah, that's right. Uh, actually, the second half and, and the end of 2020 already were, were actually better than we had expected in terms of uh, trade performance. Uh, we saw global trade uh, rebounding out of the slump of the first half of 2020 out of the slump of the crisis, uh, for example, much faster uh, than uh, the previous global crisis back in 2008 and 2009. But then it took almost two years for global trade to come back to pre-crisis levels, whereas with COVID, it took just a, it took just a few, few months. And uh, part of that was uh, due to consumers actually spending more uh, than we had expected on electronics and, of course, pharmaceuticals. Um, and when I talk about electronics, uh, in fact, it's uh, yeah, consumers spending more than we had expected on everything related to work from home, education from home, entertainment from home, etc. Uh, but also, uh, we had companies uh, preparing for the grand reopenings, uh, the post-lockdown grand reopenings, uh, by ordering goods, ordering uh, inputs, uh, restocking, basically. Uh, and another factor also is that Asia was more resilient, comparatively speaking, uh, so was 
in a position to continue to to produce and, and provide, let's say, uh, exports and, and inputs to to the rest of the world. So end of 2020, beginning of 2021, uh, were were actually quite strong. Um, especially so, so that was more uh, the description of the volume uh, side of the story. But the bigger story now and in the past uh, few months is about prices. Uh, we see a big gap uh, between uh, growth rates of global trade in value or volume terms. So in value terms, uh, global trade is rising much uh, faster. And that is due to two factors mainly. Um, I mentioned a bit the input restocking frenzy, let's say the, the race for, for inputs. Uh, according to our estimates, uh, this input restocking trend is explaining around 50% of the rise of uh, global trading value uh, recently. And another uh, area is shipping constraints. So so we've seen delays, shortages of, of containers, etc. And this is also uh, adding to the cost of trade. And we estimate that shipping, constra- shipping constraints uh, explain around 35% of uh, global trading value. All right. And so how long do you see these price pressures and shipping constraints lasting? So on the on the input shortage, uh, I think this will continue to be a story uh, for for the coming uh, few quarters for 2021 for sure. Uh, if we look at high frequency data, we still see that uh, there is uh, there are economies and sectors that are facing uh, input shortages and are still in a in a in a rush to to restock. And actually, it's kind of a it's kind of a feedback loop situation where. Uh, companies uh, see that they don't have enough stocks, uh, so they will want to order them. Uh, they, they will want to order inputs, but then they see that the inputs take long, longer than usual to come, uh, and sometimes they just can't. They can't even order. Uh, so it creates a situation where they want to restock even more, and and we just have a, a global situation of maybe some kind of micro speculation that exacerbates this this shortage. So as long as we have these uh, companies in a restocking mode, preparing for uh, a comeback of demand, preparing even for the end of for the Christmas season where usually consumers spend more, uh, this this input shortage, uh, this, uh, this this kind of constraints and, and pressures on prices are, are going to, to, to remain. On the shipping side, um, we don't think that uh, a normalization is possible in the short term. So, so that is to say, no normalization this year or next year, and and that is due to a number of reasons. Uh, we still have a continued uneven recovery around the world, which means that ships and containers are not well uh, located or well balanced across the world. Uh, we've had actually uh, a few years of underinvestment in the maritime shipping industry uh, going into the crisis uh, for reasons that I don't think uh, we need to, to go into right now. But this means that going into the crisis, uh, yeah, you were in a, in a situation of uh, undercapacity, underinvestment. And uh, of course, right now there is a shortage of capacity. So, um, so companies in the shipping industries can invest uh, more to to add capacity, but it's not something that can happen overnight. Uh, taking into account the, the time to to build a new vessel, um, it can take uh, f- uh, more than a year, a year and a half. So, so these new capacities uh, are probably not going to become uh, operational before twenty twenty three. And and the last reason is that there are few alternatives to to ocean freight. Um, Global trade in in volume terms and and 
yeah, in, in value terms also, um, mostly is done uh, through maritime shipping. So even if there can be some, um, we can see, for example, some companies are going through air shipping uh, as an alternative. It's not something that can sustainably and, and overwhelmingly um, make up for, for the for the shortage we have on the on the shipping side. So yeah, these pressures are likely to to remain with us uh, this year and next year, even if they're unlikely, I think, to 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 deteriorate, deteriorate further. They will still remain with us. And so, what does that mean for your outlook for global trade? What are you expecting for twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two? Um, if we look at the numbers, actually, 2021, uh, both years look quite good. Um, after a slump of 8% in volume terms in 2020, uh, we expect global trade to grow by 7.7% uh, this year. So uh, so that's quite a, a solid rate of growth. And uh, as I said uh, previously, the growth rate in value terms is much higher. It's uh, reaching almost 16% uh, in, according to, to our forecast uh, after uh, a contraction of around 10% uh, last year. And I think that there might be even upside risks to this uh, to this forecast. So we'll, we'll see how, how the next revision goes. But for, for, uh, for me, the, the risk of any changes to this forecast is more on, on the upside uh, because it's uh, we have the price constraints and shipping constraints that are pushing the cost of trade up. Uh, and the volume of trade actually is still going well because uh, companies are in this rush to, to order inputs. So, so it doesn't really affect the, the flow uh, of goods that are actually um, crossing, crossing the world. So that's for 2021. And in 2022... So as I said, I think the, these price pressures are going to, to stay on, uh, which means that um, global trade growth should remain above average next year. And we forecast 6.2% uh, in volume terms uh, and 8.4% in, in value terms. All right. And so my very last question is, you know, which countries and sectors are the ones to watch? Um, the ones to watch, I think... Uh, we, at least looking at the data, we already see that uh, Europe was um, in the worst situation, I would say, in terms of access to inputs and in terms of uh, shipping costs and, and shipping delays. And that's partly uh, due to the sectoral positioning and, and sectoral uh, exposures. Uh, we know, for example, that a big, a big part of the import shortage story uh, was related to chips and, and semiconductors. Um, and, and actually, uh, these goods are used in uh, a wide range of, of sectors. Uh, but there is some kind of prioritization uh, from companies that uh, in Asia that produce uh, produce chips. Uh, they would more prioritize uh, final markets, uh, clients in final markets such as uh, consumer electronics, computers, etc., instead of uh, final markets uh, such as automotive. And Europe, Germany is more. Uh, exposed to, to sectors like this. So it was more difficult uh, for companies in these sectors and, and in these economies to, to access these uh, these kind of inputs. I won't also go into the details of the difference of, of inventory management, but that also actually uh, contributed to, to why the shortage was more acute in, in Europe. When we look at the freight rates, so the cost of maritime shipping, 
Uh, it was also more expensive um, for uh, when we look at shipping uh, going from Asia to Europe compared to to Asia to North America. So uh, when we look at the yeah the most vulnerable, I would say in the past few months, it was mostly located in Europe. Uh, Sector-wise, it was about automotive. Going forward, uh, I see some signs that, for example, the maritime shipping cost from Asia to North America is starting to catch up with the level of cost from Asia to Europe. So for me, it's something something to watch because, uh, of course, we expect uh, sustained demand with uh, stimulus, etc., in the U.S. Uh, so will uh, American companies still be able to? To, to provide provide for this accelerating demand, um, will they have enough inputs? Um, they're not in a situation uh, as a as a bad of a situation as in Europe, but for me, it's something to to watch. And uh, finally, um, Asia, I would say, before the summer was uh, comparatively uh, also in a in a good position because of proximity to. Uh, for example, companies that produce chips, uh, and and because of uh, strong regional integration, uh, when we look at the trade uh, within Asia Pacific, uh, so so that meant that most economies in Asia were in a good position uh, in terms of uh, inventories management before the summer. But then we know that uh, Delta hit uh, the the continent um, quite uh, widely. So it's yeah, it's also something to watch uh, over there. I think. All right. Well, thank you very much, Francoise. Speak to you next time. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the full report we just spoke about on our website. We'll leave a link in the show notes. If you'd like to discover more of our research, you can also follow the Ludonomics newsletter on LinkedIn. We'll leave a link down below for that too. If you like the podcast, please send it to any of your friends who might like it too, and leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. In the meantime, stay tuned for the next episode. 